Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. They seem like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. It's Monday, September 12th, and oh my God, we have regular season football to recap. And we have so much of it to talk about. There's just a ton to go over. I am I'm just still basking in the glow of a really, really fun week one. And I'm so excited that joining me this Sunday, every Sunday, 18 Sundays going forward is Scott Pianowski. Scott, how are we feeling, buddy, after week one of the NFL? Yeah, it was a fun week. Uh, and nice comeback because the first half of the first slate was really ugly. And you could see a lot of these teams who didn't do much in the preseason looked rusty. They were meeting each other, reacquainting themselves. But a lot of exciting finishes, a lot of upsets, a lot of survivor carnage. I was feeling pretty good at one o'clock. And then my Tennessee Titans went down in the second window. So now I'm knocked out of Dalton Del Don's survivor pool. And you, Mr. Reception Perception, okay, you, Mr. Receiver Charter, you had to feel pretty good because starting on Thursday and continuing today, if you drafted name brand receivers, if you went out in first rounds and I'm going to, and granted, Jonathan Taylor was great too and all that. But if you went big name, big name receivers showed out today. Yeah. Just about all of them, man, they were getting targeted. They were getting touchdowns. They were getting catch and runs. They were getting them early. You know, they were going over a hundred yards in the first half of the game. You know, just if Justin Jefferson was tremendous. I felt like Jamar Chase could have scored like four touchdowns today. Um, we saw it on, on Thursday with with Cup getting every other target from Matt Stafford. Devontae Adams was great. So it had to be like you, you know, these are all your children on, on one way or another, you know, and uh, so many of them played great today. <laughs> if you dra- if you drafted receiver heavy, you didn't score well today. I don't know what to tell you. You really ran bad because a lot of these guys were in the end zone or were putting up the pinball stats. Yeah, man, it was great to see name brand receivers like Curtis Samuel and uh, and Sterling Shepard have big games. No, yeah, those are those are obviously the. the, the I gave up, I gave up the Lamar Jackson Devin, Devin Duvernay stack to somebody. I maybe I just didn't put it in in print anywhere, but um, said it. You yeah, a lot, a lot it. of that too. A lot of yeah. that too, man. Like a lot of that. I liked OJ Howard four years ago. Where did that come from? But yeah. hey, that's why we're here. So let's get into it. Let's uh, let's try to zip through some of these games. 
Yeah, let's dive right into it. Before we do, though, uh, just a quick note. We are recording this during the Sunday night football game between the Bucks and the Cowboys, so don't expect any coverage of that. Andy and I will talk about it uh, before we go through the waiver wire um, on the next episode, so just keep, again, keep that in mind. Unless there's any big breaking news, you're not going to hear anything about that. All right. Starting off with the game that we led the preview with, as Scott, it delivered, man. Eagles 38, Lions 35. Like you talked about, these big brand-name receivers really came out, uh, especially A.J. Brown, man. I mean, the the kind of prevailing narrative with Brown as soon as he, like, arrived, you know, in Philadelphia was, oh, man, how many targets is he going to get because they just ran the hell out of the ball last year? A.J. Brown had a 44% target share and went absolutely crazy in this game, 155 yards. Uh, listen, he he was clearly going to be an upgrade. That was a clear drumbeat out of Eagles camp, and it came to fruition that Jalen Hurts was just going to be throwing the hell out of the ball to A.J. Brown. This had to be really encouraging because, listen, Scott, like if he gets this type of workload, like a, I mean, he's not going to have a 40% target share every week, but if he is clearly like far and away the alpha wide receiver, I mean, he's going to put up like a 1,400-yard season because he's that good if he stays healthy. This note from uh, NFL Research, A.J. Brown had the most receiving yards in the first half in a team debut by any non-rookie since at least 1991. So, yeah, pretty good start to his Eagles career with Frey, with Frey Brown. Yeah, shout out to, to Ben Solak of The Ringer, who's on their new Philadelphia podcast, who said, look, you can get an over-under prop of A.J. Brown in the 60s this week. It's mispriced. The market is going to correct it, jump on it this one time, and he's going to absolutely destroy it. And Brown beat it in the first half. The story of Brown in Tennessee, okay, his first two years, wide receiver nine, wide receiver nine, and he was outside the top 30 in wide receiver targets. This guy had to make do on six, seven, eight targets. And his entire three-year Tennessee career, he went over double-digit targets just five times. You know, it was a lot of Derrick Henry. It was a lot of win on defense, a lot of win with, yeah, Brown, you know, we'll get to you when we get to you. Right. It's so nice. And on a, this wasn't a day where Philadelphia threw the ball all over the yard, but they mm -hmm. threw it all over the yard to A.J. Brown. Now, it means you get to be kind of, be care, you know, be emotionally stable with Devonta Smith. He's going to be right. a boomer bust player at a position that's a lot of boomer bust. Dallas Goddard still had a decent yardage total, but I realize you see four targets, you get a little bit frustrated. He was such an efficiency monster last year. We're still waiting for him to have a big target season. May it may or may not be coming, but I just don't think you can cover AJ Brown. And the Eagles said it as soon as they got him. You know, we're going to pepper this guy off the bus. That's what they did. The Lions couldn't stop it. And also, wasn't it nice just to see? Miles Sanders break the seal on his touchdown account. I mean, didn't score last year. He had a bunch of touches. He kind of became a little bit of a punchline. Miles Sanders is still a decent football player. I mean, not, maybe not an MVP Pro Bowl type of guy, but he's a quality guy. Now, the Eagles actually had four different rushing touchdowns go to four different guys. Hertz had a walk-in, and then Scott and Gainwell kind of picked up the garbage. But this is an offense. It's going to be about Jalen Hurts. It's going to be about A.J. Brown. I think Sanders will be playable. Goddard, maybe he's more of a back-end top 10 tight end than a top five tight end because the volume may not be there. And I hope you got Devonta Smith as a wide receiver three. I think he'll be perfectly fine in that role. You're just going to have to ride out the peaks and valleys. Yeah, I think that, you know, what we said in the previous show, week one is all about learning truths with teams. And I think that what we learned about the Eagles is they're going to have a committee backfield. AJ, AJ Brown's going to be the dominant number one target in this team. And like all the other guys are going to kind of pick up the, the scraps, which is sort of what we expected. Although again, the ceiling for Brown, 
I had him ranked it. I, like, I I flopped him in like DJ Moore between 12 and 13 all the time. Yeah, and now it looks like even that's a low ranking for A.J. Brown. Although, of course, again, there's an injury risk, everything like that. It's also worth noting, too, that the Lions defense still isn't very good. And, like, this was probably a perfect spot for all of these guys. But let's move over to that Lions side of the ball. Again, something that we talked about on the preview show, Scott, was we're going to come out of this game feeling one way or another about Amon Ra St. Brown. And, you know, I tell you what, comes out here with a 32.4% target share, runs a team high in routes. You know, he was just... He was exactly basically what he was last year. 32.4% target share for him, like I mentioned. DJ Chark was second on the team with 21.6. He was not like a limited player at all, was Amon Ross St. Brown. He was just... He, he was the guy, eight targets, or excuse me, eight catches for 64 yards and a touchdown. I think it's pretty much wheels up for him as a, a top 20 receiver the rest of the way. Right, and the backfield is going to be, as much as we love DeAndre Swift, and he was terrific today, he's going to finish the week as a top five back. There's still going to be a gelato Jamal Williams. He had double-digit carries. He punched in a couple of touchdowns. Chark could have even had a bigger game. Yeah. He dropped what should have been a touchdown pass in the first half. The funny thing is, I thought Jared Goff played very poor. I think Jared Goff is actually a competent quarterback. I thought he looked very bad in this game, and yet St. Brown scored fine, and, and Chark scored, you know, did just fine. Swift had a big game, and the Lions were the story they were last year, right? They compete in every game. They cover a lot. They don't win. That's all we want for fantasy, right? We don't need the Detroit Lions going to the playoffs. I don't think anybody really outside Detroit wants that. We want them to be competitive. We want them to play some high-scoring games to be kind of that fantasy carnival I talk about sometimes. And for one week at least, even with Goff, I thought, playing poorly, they showed up. I mean, they couldn't stop Philly. They put up a fight, 73 points. I mean, you know, for the most part, if you got into this game for fantasy purposes, you got something out of it, that's all we can ask for. Right. That, they definitely look like that team. And I think, yeah, with Jamal Williams, you know, he punches in a couple goal line touchdowns. Like if you have DeAndre Swift on your team, you're just going to have to like not let that frustrate you because, you know, it's like this is, it's like a protect your mentals type of thing, you know, like because he's going to get his points like he did today. And he honestly did most of it, you know, as a rusher, which was good to see for DeAndre Swift because it, it's he was a guy that really did most of his damage early as a receiver. And then we didn't see that as much in this, in this game. And and that's going to be kind of crucial for him going forward is how good he can be as a rusher. So yeah, this was a lot of sort of as expected for you and I, I think in this game, especially on the line side here with St. Brown. Um, I just think he's a guy that was um, underdrafted this year. And I, I think he's going to be a really good player the rest of the way. Um, we'll talk about like a game that started off slow, started off rusty. Scott, I tweeted at you about the Steelers and Bengals, like pretty good call on the Bengals starting off slow here on this one. I mean, Joe Burrow had a rough game, four interceptions, seven sacks. He was under duress early and often. Then TJ Watt, you know, gets injured. He he actually walks off the the sideline and and says like I tore my pec. It looks like which is oh, man. I mean, you, you just hope it's not like a season ender. That's a tough one for him. But the Bengals really started off slow, but did come alive. Took the Steelers into overtime, where the Steelers did eventually win twenty three to twenty. Yeah, man. I, the Bengals, you know, with the appendectomy with Burrow, they weren't able to, to do a lot of the stuff they wanted to do. The big story with them in the offseason was that they fixed the offensive line. It did not look fixed today. Burrow no. took a ton of hits. Five turnovers if you add in a fumble lost. And there was a sixth Burrow turnover that was overturned by penalty. And yet the Bengals easily could have won. They were an extra point away from winning the game. They were a field goal away in the overtime from winning the game. I feel like Pittsburgh winning the game was the just result. And because I root for justice above all things, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of glad the Steelers got this win. But, man, Chase... Just doing whatever he wanted. I mean, 10 for 109 to touchdown. He had another touchdown. I thought that the officials incorrectly marked him out at the one-yard line. My friend Mike Salfino pointed out, why did the Bengals not challenge that? Yeah. They had a challenge left. It was 250 left in the game. I mean, 
you you can't assume you're going to get in the end zone. But Chase, and, and a day, again, we've said it, we receivers dominated. He looked uncoverable. And remember, T. Higgins missed a big chunk of this game. So yeah. it's not like the Steelers had to you know figure out who, who they were covering or what their priority was. It was basically, don't let Jamar Chase beat us. And yet Chase pretty much beat them in the second half. Also, Joe Mixon, we've always thought of him as somebody who sprinkles in pass catching. Today, he caught seven passes. I don't know how much of that is a residual of Higgins not being available. I was thinking maybe Mixon was going to catch 40, 45, 50 balls, something like that. But today, at least opens up the idea that maybe there's a little bit more of an expanded role they could do with that. I hope the Bengals can get this offensive line figured out. Frustrating to watch the Steelers. Uh, We saw Harris get dinged up. I don't know what the injury is going to be with him. It's hard to know on Sunday night with stuff like that. Mitch Trubisky looked largely like the Mitch Trubisky we last saw in in Chicago. And even though there's so much talent in this receiver room, it's going to be a while where I I can start any of these guys confidently because I don't know where the Steelers are at on offense. And I think today is how they want to play. They want to win on games on defense. They want to win games giving a ton of carries to their back and not asking Mitch Trubisky to carry a heavy load. I think this is going if to, if the game scripts will allow it, the Steelers are going to be bottom five in pass attempts. And they may be a really slow-paced team, too. I don't like their offensive line. For a team that won a football game today, largely on the, the shoulders of their defense, man, I came away very scared to go near any Pittsburgh offensive player right now. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, Deontay Johnson did like maintain maintain his typical target share. Thirty two percent of the team targets um, ran the second most routes on the team. Seven catches for fifty five yards in this one. Um, you know, I, I would say though the one surprising thing, like I, I think he's still I, I think he's still startable as like a you know maybe a lower end wide receiver two more than like a mid range wide receiver two. It was guys like George Pickens that I don't think I, like. He might be a guy that's sort of on that like drop range uh, coming out of week one, which is unfortunate. But like, again, this is the story with rookie receivers, right? Like they get started off slow, no matter how much hype you get in the offseason. But then it takes them a while to build back up uh, in this game. At least Chase Claypool was the wide receiver to 56 snaps, 89 percent out of the slot, 39 routes, which was the most on the team. 43 snaps for Pickens, 37 routes. He did see a ton of air yards on his targets. So, again, that can convert at some point. But we're going to need more playing time from him than what he got in week one for him to really be in any sort of flex consideration for sure but maybe even like roster consideration but I agree with you that the stories uh, coming out of this one are obviously Najee Harris what's going on with him from an injury perspective and I mean Jamar Chase dude like there were some folks like that you know had questions about what he was as a player he showed in this game that he is truly like a elite rare guy that can do absolutely everything you know the the there's always questions about like deep ball stats and how much those are those are going to regress year to year the Jamar Chase that you watched today with that massive target share you know clear cut number one on the team obviously T Higgins missed a chunk of the time like you you mentioned but that's a guy that nobody's going to stop that's a guy that's going to carry your fantasy team uh to a big season on his own all right let's move on to the next one here we've got Saints and Falcons man Saints and Falcons Provided a very interesting uh, game. This is another one. Sort of started slow, especially the Saints really started slow. And then everything starts started coming alive for this team. Jarvis Landry goes over 100 yards. Michael Thomas scores two touchdowns. Uh, Taysom Hill, I mean, God, Taysom Hill gets involved. I know that's tilting for a lot of people. Um, And even Chris Olave got into the end zone on a... um, 
on a two-point conversion play. So it took a while for the Saints to get there against a bad Falcons defense. They did eventually show up. Um, I, I, even Jameis Winston, like, again, he had his rocky moments, but does finish a day with a decent uh, outing. The only one who really was kind of disappointment was Alvin Kamara with uh, 39 yards on nine carries and just three catches for seven yards through the air. Yeah, I've, I've been a critic of James Winston. I thought in the second half today he was excellent. And granted, Atlanta's defense, as you mentioned, it's a lesser unit. Have, have the Falcons ever blown a big lead before? I I don't know. My memory's uh, I don't know. foggy on that. But yeah, <laughs> you man, could argue and, the and Falcons the, were in midseason form. You could argue the Falcons were in midseason form. Shout out to my friend Don Port, who lives in the Atlanta area. He had tickets for this game, left early, and got there at the end of the first quarter. That's how awful the traffic is in Atlanta. Ugh. And then, and by the way, I, I don't. Th- I think he got there actually before the Saints did because the Saints played horrible. I'm stealing Don's joke there, but <laughs> the Saints were so bad in the first half. But Winston I thought was great in the second half, and I've I've been. Fading Kamara and Thomas, I've done it a lot on this show. I thought Thomas looked excellent on his two touchdowns. The first one, the coverage was great, but the offensive execution won on that play. And you could see how Thomas really just, it was just a weight off his shoulders. He had done nothing at that point. He grabbed the ball, scored the touchdown, chucked it in the third row. Um, Just, you know, excited to finally make a play. And, you know, the Saints came through in the second half. Big story, one thing. I don't have any Taysom Hill. I have all the Taysom Hill FOMO right now. He's going to open up all those eligibility debates that we're thrilled to get into. Uh, In in fact, this was kind of the eligibility bowl, right? Because Cordero Patterson was great as really more of a traditional running back this year. Last year, he was more of a hybrid player, but he had a really strong game. Hill made a couple of splash plays. Is Kamara going to be the guy left behind? The Saints don't have the offensive line they've had in recent years. Thomas was making plays. Olave was making plays. Jarvis Landry, who saw seven for a buck 14 coming out of him. He made a big downfield catch on the game-winning drive. I think this is the year Kamara regresses to 50, 55, 60 catches, which may not sound that bad, but we're used to him catching 80-plus balls, and I think they're going to struggle to run the ball. I think Hill's going to have some kind of a role in this game. In fact, even when they got to a two-point conversion, Matt, why are they running a direct snap to Mark Ingram? What the heck was that all about? yeah. yeah. I, I just I think everything's pointing the wrong direction on Kamara. There's the guy I'd be nervous about, but everybody else, the passing game looked good. Winston played better than I expected. Michael Thomas, I thought, looked pretty good once he got his feet wet. And I think Taysom Hill's going to be a real-life thing. We know tight end is an ugly position. A lot of tight ends I like didn't do anything today. Taysom <laughs> yeah. Hill is going to be somebody you and Andy are going to be talking about on Monday. Oh, God help us all. Yeah, Jameis Winston dropped back to pass 38 times. Michael Thomas and Chris Olave ran 33 routes. Juwan Johnson ran 32 routes. Jarvis Landry, 32 routes. Alvin Kamara all the way down at 19, man. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just that's not what you want if you spent like a early second round pick on Alvin Kamara. And it's, in not, and it's not just that. I don't know that what that throwing to a back has ever really been Jameis's thing. I mean, no. Kamara ends up with seven receiving yards. I don't think of Jameis is like, you know, patiently waiting out for a screen to develop or a play breaks down and he locates a a running back for a safe option. He's like, okay, who can I throw the ball to downfield? Let's make a chunk play out of this. I just don't think their skills and who knows? I mean, they they don't they haven't played that much together rep wise. Maybe eventually they'll develop some rapport. But Kamara had unbelievable rapport with the previous regime here. I just don't I think it's just a square peg in a round hole. I just don't see the fit. I agree with you. I do feel really confident um, rostering Landry and Olave going forward and also starting uh, Michael Thomas going forward uh, after this one. On the Falcons side, you mentioned really, I mean, honestly, the passing game, like whatever, kind of as expected. 
you know, uh, Kyle Pitts gets seven targets. You know, it's not a huge day through the air for anybody. Um, but the really this uh, Drake London, five catches for 74 yards on seven targets. You, you feel all right about him as maybe a boom bust wide receiver three type, though. That's a that's pretty decent from a floor perspective from, from his uh, standpoint against that defense. The story here is Cordero Patterson, 22 carries, 120 yards and a touchdown. That was just what he did on the ground. He also added five targets through the air, man. I mean, uh, Cordero Patterson was, I think he was honestly one of the most mispriced players from the entire, like the entire draft standpoint. I know Damian uh, Williams did get hurt in this game. So that's something to, to monitor, um, you know, it, keep an eye on his use, you know, his practice reports. I don't, I, I don't really know. I didn't see much about the injury, but I mean, if, if Patterson's going to get a, the clear cut starting running back workload in this, in this offense, maybe he breaks down at some point, but he's going to be like an RB two for folks. And he wasn't drafted anywhere close to that. Yeah, it looks like a screaming value. Can they continue to live with Marcus Mariota having 12 carries, 72-yard touchdown games? I, I, Mariota's had trouble staying healthy. And I mean, look, I, sometimes I, I wonder if I fear too much about the mobile quarterbacks, about the running quarterbacks, because a lot of these guys do it and they don't get hurt because they're smart and they slide and yeah. the league protects them and everything. But I don't know. I think, I think just the, the past of Mariota has me nervous every time he runs, and I don't know if Atlanta can get away with this long-term. And I'll also admit, I'm just disappointed to see Kyle Pitts targeted seven times, but only 19 yards. Because this year, we talk about, like, this is going to be a reveal year for, like, Tua. It's going to be a reveal year for certain players. Uh, it's a it's a kind of a reveal year for Lamar Jackson, who's trying to get that new contract, and it turns out that he's going to bet on himself, and that'll be a fun story to talk about. I think this is going to be a reveal season for Arthur Smith. I was really excited about him a year ago. Not so excited about Arthur Smith at the end of the year, but it's only been one season. You get to give him another year. Pitts had a good rookie year. It just was light in the touchdown column. And so I was really excited to see maybe Pitts take off here. Now, the Saints have a good defense, and I'm sure they prioritize Pitts. I haven't had a chance to watch any of the games yet, but just a little disappointed to see Pitts come off slowly. And again, I feel like I'm always going to blame everything around Pitts and not Kyle Pitts because I know <laughs> yeah, that yeah, guy yeah. gets open. I know he's a matchup freak, but uh, disappointing to see a, a quiet first game for him. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, fair enough. Uh, just looking off the, um, like, the, I, I haven't gone fully dived into, like, where he lined up, everything like that. But I, I will say from a slot perspective, Drake London only lined up in the slot on five uh, five snaps at a, a 52 total. That was kind of like he could have been a big slot type. Um, Kyle Pitts just 15. And then Olamide Zacchaeus was the, the snap leader with 32 there in the slot. I, I think that's the key with Kyle Pitts. Like, I don't want to see him lining up outside an X receiver. So if, if Drake London's going to do that, that's good news for Kyle Pitts going forward. So that's the, well, just one thing I'd add there. Let's move on to this one, man. I mean, this was fun. You know, I, I said that there's a chance that like, uh, old, uh, Patrick Mahomes just comes out here and like, has like a fire season where he just like goes nuclear because, you know, there, you know, Tyree kills had all these press clipping, stuff like that. 44 for the chiefs, 21 for the Cardinals. And really like Mahomes was on this thing right from the jump. Yeah. You know, Lamar Jackson wins the MVP a few years ago. And it's like, oh, maybe he's the best quarterback in football. No, may maybe it's Justin Herbert. No, maybe it's Kyler Murray. Oh, Aaron Rodgers won two MVPs in a row. Tom Brady's still doing his thing. Stop it. The, the, if they redrafted everybody, the best player in football is, is Patrick Mahomes. And, and today he really, I think, look, Arizona's defense is a mess. And I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is a long-term solution in Arizona. Isn't crazy to think they were the last undefeated team in football last year. And they look, they just got their doors blown off and Mahomes is doing it with a bunch of new guys. Right. I mean, I, his almost his entire receiver room is new to him. And 
uh, they he threw the backs, he threw the tight ends, he threw the guys he's, he's only thrown a handful of reps to before. And it's just fun when, when he's in sync and Andy Reid's in sync and, and the Chiefs are doing what they did today. It's they just feel unstoppable. I mean, they scored forty-four. Matt, it, it felt like they could have had sixty if they really wanted it. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on everything you just said, especially the part about like uh, Charles McDonald, who, who's you know a great great football writer, great football analyst. He, he's like going on this bit now about like how Patrick Mahomes is the most underrated player in the NFL because like he was eight on the NFL's top 100 list, all that type of stuff. Hey, I had a buddy in a group chat today point out that Tony Dungy and Jason Garrett on NBC are like, oh man, we I've never seen a young quarterback do as much as Justin Herbert has done this early stage in his career. And literally the next highlight package is Patrick f***ing Mahomes. Like it's just, it's crazy that we forget in some way how good this guy is. And now it's like, I mean, listen, to be fair, the, the Cardinals are missing a ton of players on defense. They had like a cornerback who had a cooking accident. That's how that's how down bad they were in this one. But this is a whole new cast of characters. And, and just an update on that cast of characters. It was clear cut. The top three guys from a routes run perspective, Kelsey, MVS, Juju, all run 30 routes. Uh, Kelsey and Juju combined for 44% of the team targets. I know Juju didn't go crazy in this game or anything like that from a stats perspective, but if you drafted him and started him, you got to feel pretty good. And then just update on the backfield too. It looks a little more murky than it probably should because they were in garbage time so quickly. But Isaiah Pacheco did lead the team in touches with 12, looked good, popped in a touchdown. And CEH had a couple of early scores, um, despite Jarek McKinnon playing the lead in snaps there. Yeah, I think you have to be careful with some of the usage in this game because it got out of hand. Certain guys weren't playing in the fourth quarter and certain guys were, which may not reflect what they would do in a competitive situation. So it may make you think, I think Juju's game was actually better than the final box score would suggest. And I think Pacheco's game was not as impressive because, again, all garbage time. On the Arizona side, it's nice to see James Conner is still alive and well. 10 carries, 26 yards, and a touchdown. This guy is just, he's just going to live that life. And he got, you know, five catches to supplement his value. There's nobody pushing him in that backfield, although Benjamin had you know, a few yards on his four carries. But I guess James Conner is just going to, you know, live that touchdown deodorant life and, um, I felt sorry for Kyler Murray seeing him have to throw to Greg Dorch and you know, Earth was obviously compromised. I don't think AJ Brown can separate anymore. They haven't given up on Andy Isabella. They did give him a few targets, but I don't think that's ever going to work, man. Do they, they really need their full complement? They, they didn't have Rondell Moore today. Obviously Deandre Hopkins is suspended. This is the time to play Arizona. They were a skeleton crew today and they, they sure looked like it. I feel stupid picking Arizona with the points because that 15 minutes in, you knew that was the wrong pick. Yeah, it, it was just tough. It got out of hand early, and like we mentioned, they have a ton of um, they have a ton of injuries on both sides of the ball. Do the Cardinals right now? So maybe this will be the first time they don't get off to a hot start early in the season. Um, all right, next one up: Chargers twenty four, Raiders nineteen. Man, Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler were right <laughs> about Gerald Everett. That was something that I took from the first episode of Eckler's Edge. That you know they were all kind of gassed up about uh, about Gerald Everett, and I felt like as a as a fantasy community, we had sort of kind of given up on Gerald Everett after he flopped in his second spot with the Seahawks, especially I, well, I'll never forget because I had to stream at tight end that one game where it looked like he was shaving points with the Seahawks last year. He like just, it was unbelievable how much opportunity he had and it just kept, kept literally bungling it. But yeah, Gerald Everett ran out there 22 routes. Uh, it got some, got some decent looks lined up in the slot a little bit, seven slot snaps. And I mean, he's a guy that if you're hurting a tight end and, and we, like you said earlier, not a great week, for for like the the late round tight ends, he might be a guy you consider adding. 
Yeah, tough ticker week for your your Charger fans because they get the three touchdowns and no Eckler, no Allen, uh, who got hurt in this game, no Mike Williams. It's Xander Horvath, who I know nothing about other than that that he's not going to ever probably score a touchdown the rest of the season. DeAndre Carter had a pretty good game. Even like players like Joshua Palmer and um, Guyton, you know, guys, those secondary receivers on the Chargers who I was willing to stash on my bench in case somebody got hurt. They didn't do much, but... Yeah, Everett, I'm wondering if maybe some of my Njoku shares or some of my Komet shares or some of my Alberto shares, maybe I could have diversified a little bit. I do have some Everett, but not as much as I'd like to because just the proximity to Justin Herbert is a good thing. Still, the Chargers almost chargered this game. For a game they were completely in control (laughs) in, they gave the Raiders ample opportunity to to steal it at the end. And, And man, wasn't it nice? All these receivers changing teams. We talked about A.J. Brown. He was great right away. We'll get to Tyreek Hill later, but... Uh, Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, you would have thought it was Fresno State 2014 yeah. because they were doing whatever they wanted. Gorgeous. Man, Adams, that gorgeous touchdown he had at the right pylon where the throw was in a, a great spot, but but Adams still had to catch it with his fingertips. I can't think of anybody in the NFL who's better than that. And I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would have, would have given a lot to have Devontae <laughs> Adams on his sideline today. But it's just nice to see that happen. Um, not much else going on for the for the Raiders. Renfro was scarcely involved. Waller made a couple of splashy plays, but I guess he'll be fine. I think they're going to struggle to run the ball, though Jacobs did have 57 yards today. For the most part, I think it's going to be the Carr and Adams show. 48.6% of the team targets Devontae Adams had. I mean, he w- it was early, it was often, it was, I mean, it was awesome. I, I agree with you, man. We'll get to the we'll get to the Packers later, but it was like, man, that. That sure looks like an offense that could have used Devontae Adams, but you know, not not, not just saying. Uh, man, Devontae Adams was awesome. Like, I you know, he was definitely a guy. It felt a lot like, and I I didn't have like a full on fade on Devontae Adams. I thought he was more of a second round pick than a first round pick. So maybe based on ADP, like you would call that a fade. But I mean, man, like it felt an awful lot. Like if you doubted Devontae Adams of changing teams, and remember there was a similar discussion about. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins when he went to the Arizona Cardinals and in his first game with Kyler Murray, Murray's just throwing the hell out of the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. It felt a lot like that. And, and these guys do have, you know, long time history with each other. Devonte Adams and Derek Carr, they're like best friends. They, they had, there was that story about how like they almost died together in like an accident. So, I mean, they, like I said, they got a lot of history there. Right. Um, yeah. The near death, the near death ra- uh, narrative, white water rafting. <laughs> yeah. What, what brings you closer together, Matt? I'm, by the way, I would never go white water rafting. I'd be the worst person to invite on a white water rafting sh- trip. I'd probably be the reason why the trip went awry, but you know, I want to say one other thing about these receivers changing teams, okay? Because there's been a lot of receivers who have changed teams in the past and who haven't done well. But a lot of times, and this is another Mike Selfino point, a lot of times a receiver changes teams and he's upgraded. Like he's a number three on his previous team. He becomes a number two or they ask him to play a different position or something like that. We saw so much receiver movement in this offseason with alpha guys, guys who were yeah. the number one under, you know, target hog on the team they were on, target hog on the team they're going to. And in the case of Philly, they're going to actually increase the target share for Brown. But, I mean, Adams was always peppered off the bus with the Packers. He was peppered off the bus with the Raiders. There's no reason. That's a lateral move. Even if we factor in some of the Rodgers to Carr, you know, you have to, that's part of the computation too. But when, when a guy is already established as a number one, no matter what city he's in, I don't really care so much about him changing teams. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, that was kind of my argument against, like, fading DeAndre Hopkins, against fading Stefan Diggs when they changed teams in 2020. It's like, th- that's great. You're comparing, like, the history of wide receivers who have changed teams with guys like 
you know, freaking Mike Wallace and stuff like that, you know, like Alvin now, Harper. Yeah. 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 The, these type of players. And it just, the, we haven't seen guys of this caliber ever change teams and, and especially not the quantity they did this off season. Just a couple other notes on the chargers. Their defense looks improved. looks awesome. They were really able to give Derek Carr hell all game. Although the Raiders do not have a good offensive line. That's for sure. Five and a half sacks between Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa and Derwin James. And, and Khalil Mack was really the driving force there. That's a good uh, addition for them. And Keenan Allen, we did mention he had a hamstring injury. The Chargers play on Thursday night, so I would be kind of prepared to not have Keenan Allen in that game. All right, let's move on to the next one. Hey, Scott, all four uh, of the AFC South teams played today, and there are zero victories in that division. So uh, a banner start for the AFC South. We got Colts 20, Texans 20 in an overtime overtime fest there that, oh, my God, ends in a tie. We already have our first tie, and it's week one. Yeah, this game felt like it was a five-hour game, and, and it wasn't a, kind of kind of a fantasy tease, right? Damian Pierce was not the primary back for Houston. Um, Davis Mills was throwing touchdown passes. I, I got all of this Brandon Cook shares. I have all these Nico Collins shares. I even have some some tight end shares that are not OJ Howard. I have some uh, Brevin Jordan shares, and there's OJ Howard scoring two touchdowns. But at least the Colts they buttered their bread where we want it, right? I mean, I, some people got Jonathan Taylor outside. 101, which I think is just stealing. And, and man, was he absolutely dominant today. And Michael Pittman looked every part. All the people who were predicting a breakout season for him, or, you know, <laughs> I, I stepped forward because he kind of broke out last year, but yeah. which I think is like 95% of the fantasy community. But he, he was awesome. He was uncoverable. And Matt Ryan was kind of the Matt Ryan we saw in Atlanta, just good enough to lose with. I mean, you know, just good enough maybe to tie with, right? He is better than Carson Wentz, although somehow Wentz threw four touchdown passes today. I'm not really sure how that happened, but. Man, maybe the maybe the Colts have a little of that Chargers blood in them, right? I mean, they they should take care of business against the Houston team, and really they were kind of lucky to get the tie today. But at least the two primary Colts that we want to have do it, do it. What what's our level of, of uh, concern about Damian Pierce? Because I think we all thought like Houston led in this game most of the way, and Rex Burkhead was the touch leader. That's got to be a concern if you went after Damian Pierce hard at the end of draft season. Yeah, just to, just to put a point on that, Rex Burke had 49 snaps at 72% of the team snaps. Damian Pierce only 19, uh, you know, 19 touches, 70 uh, yards for Rex Burke had 12 touches, 39 yards for Damian Pierce. You know, there was there was obviously some concern that Rex Burkhead was going to play on passing downs, but he ended up playing on base downs too. So, I mean, I I would be I would be a little concerned. I think Damian Pierce is probably a guy like if you drafted towards the end of the the draft process and you had to pay like the iron price for Damian Pierce, you're you're definitely feeling bummed that you took him in like the sixth or seventh round or something like that. If you took him before that, you know whatever, you don't care. It's it's like free money at that point. But I think he's just a guy like you gotta ha- you're gonna kind of have to wait to see it before you start putting him out there in your starting lineup. But I, I certainly would keep hanging on. And you know this is a team that still like a fourth round rookie to get 12 touches in his first start and get the treatment that he did in the off season. I, I still think like they're at some point they will turn to Damian Pierce. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't drop him or anything like that. I wouldn't freak out about it, but he's definitely a guy that you're going to have to put on your bench and wait to see it before you, before you I also him. want to point out that Naheem Hines got all six of his targets. And with the Colts having a pretty pedestrian wide receiver room after Michael Pittman, 
the runway is cleared for Naheem Hines to be second in this team in receptions, which would make him like a lower end running back two or a high end flex. Somebody who's very, not just an injury guy or, or a bye week guy, but you actually in some leagues may be starting Naheem Hines more often than not. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be seeing that uh, fourth down play where at the goal line where they had like a, a wildcat formation with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, though. That was I saw you were you were uh, rankled by that as well. Just an update on those Colts pass catchers beyond Michael Pittman, which, by the way, yeah, Michael Pittman, take all the victory laps, everybody. It's six catches for 80 yards in the first freaking half. Like, he, he's going to go off this year. Uh, we knew that. But Paris Campbell was number two in routes run with 44 to 53 with Michael Pittman. Alec Pierce, Alec Pierce could add his first career touchdown. He had a couple of miscues in the end zone, so that that was disappointing. Uh, his two targets did come in the end zone, and he, he missed on both of them, and one was a pretty rough drop. He had 36 routes, and unfortunately, man, VCU's finest, Moali Cox, 19 routes to uh, 29 from Kylan Granson. So that was disappointing to see if you were a Moali Cox backer like I am. But yeah, um, Nico Collins, 32 routes uh, to 38 for Brandon Cook. So he's still he's still a guy you want to you want to keep on your bench for sure. Although Davis Mills, a little little shaky in this one, little little shaky in this one. Um, All right, let's move to the next game here. Oh, wait, no, let me let me do. Let me double back, though, to OJ Howard. Let me double back before we move on to OJ Howard, because I thought this was interesting in the broadcast. I was watching this game. They made a point, you know, and some of this stuff is whatever, but I, I think this is important. The broadcast actually specifically said that Lovey Smith really recruited OJ Howard hard to the Texans, and he scores, he, he pops in his first one. I, I don't know that I'm emptying the fab for OJ Howard, but, you know, we're always thirsty for tight ends. Proof is in the pudding after week one with some of these breakout guys. I definitely think OJ Howard is going to be on the waiver wire radar for sure. I mean, former first round pick, right? I mean, we're all excited about him a few years ago. It's just strange the areas he didn't click, right? He didn't click in Tampa Bay. He didn't click in Buffalo, although Buffalo has so much talent. Maybe they wanted to keep him and couldn't. But uh, sometimes tight end is a slow-developing position, and sometimes, it, guys, it's it's the middle of their careers where they kind of figure it out. I, I would, if I needed a tight end, if I lost a tight end, or if I'm in a deeper league, I'm in some leagues that start two tight ends or in a tight end premium league. You know, your, your eight and ten team leagues are not going to probably look at OJ Howard, but I think anything deeper than that, you at least have to have a conversation with yourself about he's on the he's on the waiver wire radar for sure, and, and I'm I'm positive you and Andy will talk about him tomorrow. But again, he he was a first round player at Alabama, and and he's he's a guy. There's no right way to cover him. He's always open because he's so freaking big. He's going to be bigger <laughs> than any defender running yeah. with him. And Mills is already here's the other thing too. When you catch a couple of touchdown passes, especially the way that O.J. Howard caught them, what happens? They throw you the ball more in those positions. They give you more chances to score touchdowns. It's like in baseball. When you record a couple of saves, they go back to you in the ninth inning. Why, When they get you know third and goal at the seven, why wouldn't they look to O.J. Howard? He just you know converted on a couple of those plays. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think he continues to get opportunity on a team that's just looking for guys to step up at a certain point. All right, Scott and I will be back with a ton more games to recap right after this break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. 
All right, Scotty, we got Ravens 24, Jets 9 in Joe Flacco's revenge game. Uh, look, Lamar Jackson was awesome in this game. Three passing touchdowns. He threw two to Devin DuVernay. And, like, I had every Rashad Bateman uh, person. I told you, you got to draft Rashad Bateman. This guy's awesome. He's going to be the clear alpha receiver. You know, Devin DuVernay is with two touchdowns. I've got everybody so upset in, in my mention, stuff like that. Bateman eventually pops in a big long touchdown himself he got loose in zone coverage sauce gardner you know I, he's going to be a good corner but uh he kind of had bateman's number all day most likely and then you know he gets bateman gets loose in zone coverage for a big play because he's he's a damn good receiver that's the area where he wins down the field so um yeah i, I think you're feeling good if you got rashad bateman on your roster he ran 25 routes which was second only to mark andrews second in target share to only mark andrews i i think devon devon duvernay is interesting because the ravens need a third receiver to stand up but this is still for the most part, uh, the Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman show. Yeah, I thought the Ravens won without really showing their best foot. They didn't use Lamar proactively in the running game. Predictably, Mike Davis was hardly used, and Kenyon Drake didn't do a lot. Bateman only made the one big play. It was a quiet Mark Andrews game. It just felt like the Ravens came, did enough to win, and, and got out of dodge. The, the Jets are a bad football team. Joe Flacco looked like he shouldn't be playing. I mean, I got to the point where I just want to see Mike White play in the second half. Right. Thankfully, through volume alone, the Jets actually supported their fantasy receivers. I think Corey Davis was mispriced all summer. He could maybe be a wide receiver four, wide receiver five, a decent depth guy, and he ended up being the leading Jets receiver today. But uh, fumble for Brees Hall, a couple of plays from Garrett Wilson. I'd like to love to see what this offense can do with competent quarterback play. We have no evidence that, that Flacco is going to be that guy. And Zach Wilson, we still it's really hard to have a leap of faith of him. I don't know. Maybe maybe Mike White's an answer. Maybe the Jets are just going to be another three-win team again this year. I just can't wait till they get quarterback solved because there's so many Jets I want to draft. I thought Carter had some moments today. Again, Elijah Moore, we've talked about him a lot, you know, how, how exciting of a player he is and how he could have a second-year breakout. But if the, the quarterback's the connective tissue here, if you don't have a quality quarterback, everything else is the house of cards and your foundation falls apart. Yeah, Elijah Moore was the clear routes run leader 55 for him 42 for Corey Davis 35 for Garrett Wilson 29 for Braxton Berrios like you know but the thing is I do kind of want to see the Jets be on like a a positive script I mean they were kind of you know on the ropes right away in this game but how often are they really going to have that positive script especially because you know they had to put Dwayne Brown on IR and he was their replacement for Makai Becton who they had already put on IR so the Jets are just a cursed team man like the Jets is just like nothing good can happen to them it's it's a shame uh Michael Carter definitely you know was the right call 17 touches for 12 for uh Brees Hall which you know, it was interesting. Um, Brees Hall, actually, like, he had 10 targets. It was crazy. But uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm probably staying away from any Jets player that's maybe Michael Carter, maybe Brees Hall. I, I'm still rocking with Elijah Moore. But for now, yeah, I'm not feeling great about this this operation. And, yeah, you can you can go ahead. Like, you can go ahead and forget about the Ravens running backs, too. I mean, Kenyon Drake leads the team in snaps. Who cares? Like, the tw as we said in the previous show, Scott, the 2022 Ravens backfield is starting to feel an awful lot like the 2021 Ravens backfield until we get J.K. Dobbins back. Were you surprised Lamar ran the ball so infrequently today? I probably just didn't have to, honestly. I mean, you know, yeah. this is his first game out there. Like, why expose him? Sure. Yeah. Why? Why bother? Uh, this is an aggressive Jets defense, and the, and they kind. I mean, they had their sort of moments at times. Like I said, they they kept Bateman sort of uh, under wraps for a while. So yeah, I just think it's like why why bother really in this game? I, I'm not too concerned about that. And and he was like I said, he was pretty awesome as a passer. And and those 
younger players popped as well. So I feel pretty good about the Ravens offense after this one. Um, all right, let's go to a game that, oh man, I, I had this one locked. I was locked in on this one because you know it was the second game I had here. Bears 19, 49ers 10. I mean, I do want to say off the top with this game, Scott, that was such a mess. Like the weather is going to make this really an impossible game to judge. I know people will still have their takes. We obviously still are going to talk about it, but there were certain times during that game where it was like, what are we like? What are we even doing out here? You know, Trey Lance is sliding and he, he's like sliding into a lake um, there at one point, Scott, at the end of the game, when the, the 49ers are kind of trying to come back, they literally had to add the yard lines in post on the TV because they were so smudged out on Soldier Field. So it was an insane game, um, but still some really rocky moments for both offenses, although the Bears sort of had a couple of pop moments there. The big fantasy news coming out of this one was Elijah Mitchell ruled out with a knee injury. I mean, like so fast in this game. Jeff Wilson led the backfield with 39 snaps. And Debo Samuel, honestly, even before Je- before Elijah Mitchell was hurt, he had four rush attempts to one target with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. He finished with eight carries for 52 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, I think it's going to be Jeff Wilson and Debo Samuel as long as Elijah Mitchell is out. Yeah, I wonder if uh, if Price gets into the mix or Mason, who did dress today, gets into the mix going forward. You get to give San Francisco a huge mulligan because the weather was horrible. Kittle didn't play. I, I have been on record as being lower on Trey Lance than some of my colleagues, but I'm you can't take anything from today's game because the track was terrible. And again, the Niners didn't have the personnel they normally would have. Kittle's a huge part of what they do on offense. To, to me, the most interesting takeaway from this game, in a game where because of the conditions, I don't want to take away much, Khalil Herbert looked better than than David yep. Montgomery. I don't think there's any denying that. And Herbert did get nine carries to Montgomery 17. I think that's gonna that gap could easily close in coming weeks. The new coaching staff, they have no affiliation with the previous guys. Montgomery's in kind of that lame duck year. I'm not sure he's coming back next year anyway. Herbert became kind of a trendy, non-starting, you know, speculative running back pick. And his price rose in ADP to the point that I wasn't getting him a lot. And watching them play today, look, it's nine carries. I don't want to go overboard. It's not like Herbert was rewriting the record book. But he looked like Chicago's best running back. I don't think there's any way we could ignore that. Oh, 100%. I mean, David Montgomery crushed in your usage league, 37 snaps, 20 touches, 16 routes. But, yeah, you're right. Khalil Herbert looked much better, nine carries, 45 yards, a touchdown, and three first downs on the ground. Um, Also, the wide receiver room, pretty weird. I mean, Equinemius St. Brown and Dante – revenge game for Dante Pettis. They both got behind the defense for long touchdowns. And I I will say, too, Justin Fields' mobility also made a couple of those happen as well. So, you know, we talked about Fields as maybe the arbitrage Trey Lance, and he certainly isn't surrounded by the skill guys there. But the 49ers defense blew some coverage. Even Byron Pringle also got behind him for a big play. Uh, Darnell Mooney, 22 routes on 23 fields dropbacks. That's You feel good about that, but um, definitely some of the randos there scoring, that's concerning. The bigger concern to me is not as much Darnell Mooney. Who's, he's he's going to just be a boom-bust guy. It, the bigger concern is Cole Komet, who ran 16 routes on 23 Justin Fields dropbacks and only a 5.9 target share. Um, you're going to have to rely on volume with Cole Komet, and that did not look promising after week one. Yeah, I thought Komet was going to be a safe play into the season. Um, maybe it was hard to trust him with this weather. And actually, I, I backed off Mooney. I played Christian Kirk and people like that over Mooney yeah. today just because of the weather. But um, I, I think Komet, if I were re-ranking, if I were redrafting a league, I had him around that 10, 10 and 10 to 12 range. I think maybe that was a tier too high. Maybe I need to go a little bit lower on that. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. All right, next one up, Vikings 23, Packers 7. Packers, uh, another rough week one outing for the second season in a row. I mean, 
Aaron Rodgers looked pretty miserable with this wide receiver group when obviously, you know, they're they're missing Alan Lazard, who's supposed to be their top guy. Not that I think Lazard is like a, a legit number one receiver or anything like that, but um, he is supposed to be their top guy. That is a pretty big absence. Nevertheless, though, man, I mean, this was this was rough. It was rough. Uh, the, the rookies made some mistakes. Christian Watson dropped a huge, like, I mean, huge. T- like, it, it, there was obviously, I, I didn't make the joke. I'm sure other people did. I, I don't try to look at my timeline too much during games because I don't need all that. But, like, I'm sure people made the joke that, oh, they got their MVS replacement right there or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think that. I know it's 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 dangerous to overreact to week one, and the Packers are a great example of that because we overreacted to them in week one last year, and, and they ended up being a great team and um, you know made a playoff push, all that type of stuff. But dude, it was it was rough to watch this receiver core go to work, and as as such, like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon were just on the field a ton, catching passes, all that stuff, and I think that's probably going to be the story of the Packers all year long. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers targets six, uh, 10 different guys, nobody more than six times. He just looked like somebody shuffling like lottery numbers, trying to find the right ticket, you know? He's, yeah. And you could see that the eye roll from Rodgers after Watson dropped that what might have been a touchdown pass was just the, your classic Aaron Rodgers. It's funny this final was 23-7 because this felt like it was 40-7. to You know, Justin yep. Jefferson just put on a clinic in the first half, and it was just exciting. Talked about it all preseason. Look, we get, we get to drink a little bit of confirmation bias, right? We were hoping Kevin O'Connell would be more creative and proactive with Justin Jefferson, who's been great through two years, right? Doesn't have the most yardage of any two-year player in NFL history, but it sure seemed like things were more diverse today from whatever you can glean from the broadcast feed. I Obviously, we'll break it down in more detail and as some of the stats come out and then the film becomes available, but it was just nice to see Justin Jefferson validate anybody who took him second, third, fourth overall in the draft, which some people did that he, he looked like the most dynamic player on the field and just one of the most dynamic players in football today. And the Vikings, man, their defense, they har- they harassed Aaron Rodgers. And the, the even if you were pro-Vikings into the season, the idea was like, well, they better score a lot of points because this defense is a mess. And uh, they dom- I thought they dominated the Packers on, on the defensive side of the ball. And then they harassed Rodgers. They, they made him uncomfortable. And again, it's hard to be comfortable when you don't trust any of your receivers. And, you know, Alan Lazar was a big absence for them in addition to obviously Adams not playing. But I was And they were down there, too. They were down there, both their starting tackles, David Bakhtiari and Ellington. For sure. And it, looked, and it looked like that. It right? looked like, it looked like, like yeah. an offensive line that had met five minutes before the game. But, <laughs> man, I'm feeling pretty good that the, I think the Vikings are the best team in this division. Look, they're going to play again in Green Bay. And, you know, Rodgers will, as you said, you know, last year they got the snot kicked out of them by New Orleans in week one. That didn't mean anything. You know, the Packers had, what, the number one seed, I think, when the playoffs started. But um, you know, Rodgers will figure something out. But it's just crazy to think they really need Alan Lazard back. They do. Yep. It's crazy because, again, I don't think that Lazard is some kind of superstar or anything like that. But he's certainly an upgrade over. They just don't want to be relying on guys like Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs this early in their career. And they had to do that. And, like, when Randall Cobb is your best bet and, like, you know, whatever. Like, Sammy Watkins, by the way, didn't have that week one we were all joking about. So uh, so there's that. Just one last note on on Justin Jefferson, man. You know, we talked a lot about, like, the Cooper Cup role or anything like that. Here are their slot snaps for the Vikings receivers. 15 for Adam Thielen, 14 for Justin Jefferson, 23 for K.J. Osborne. He was actually the primary slot receiver, and it didn't matter. Like, Justin Jefferson still was uncoverable in this game because he's good, right? Like, Cooper Cup needs the Cooper Cup role to be successful. Justin Jefferson can do whatever you want. He had 10.7 air yards per target, 9 yards per after the catch per reception, like 
he's already an elite player, and now he's just going to be in a more progressive offense that's going to get him into favorable situations with the route combinations and stuff like that. He doesn't need a certain role. It's just, and obviously we're going to see more of it on the film when that stuff comes out and everything. But man, I mean, it was it was just awesome to watch Justin Jefferson. It's like a, I I I honestly think he could have like two thousand yards this year. I think he could be the first two thousand yard receiver. And scoring, scoring from in close, right? We think of Adam Thielen winning in that position. Yeah, Jefferson catches one short touchdown, and he missed a second one by the slightest of toe taps. His toe was out by like a millimeter. Oh yeah, oh, he could so e- could have easily had a three touchdown game. And when the game flow went a certain way, when the game script went a certain way, they you know they kind of took the air out of the ball. They didn't have to throw a bunch of passes. If Green Bay had put up a bigger fight, Jefferson might have had, had might have had two hundred seventy yards in this game. Oh my God. I'm so, I'm so excited for Justin Jefferson's season. Yeah. Like that's crazy. You're right. Vikings, Vikings don't even have to like get any resistance from the Packers and he still goes for cr- this crazy game. I'm, I'm excited to see it. All right. Some of these games are getting a little dusty, so we'll go maybe a little quicker. Maybe no promises starting with dolphins, 20 Patriots seven. Um, if you're in, if you're a two and on believer, this was a good, this was a good game for you. I mean, Tyreek Hill, by the way, just another guy in the long line of receivers who changed teams who had a really good debut. Um, he, he was the clear-cut number one receiver to, to Jalen Waddle, even though Jalen Waddle ripped off a nice long catch and run. 38.7% team target share for Tyreek Hill, ran a team-high 31 routes. Jalen Waddle was 16.1% target share, 28 routes, and, like, you can kind of forget it after that. Chase Edmonds did have a decent game as a receiver. He caught four balls, but, like, in the passing game, it's going to be those two guys. And then New England, man, I mean, it was about as messy as it could have been from a performance perspective. We also have Mac Jones with a back injury coming out of that one, as I like to say. And ain't nobody used to have a bad back. So um, that's going to be something that bothers him throughout the course of the season, most likely. You know, the Matt Patricia thing, there's all that. The backfield, I mean, Scott, the backfield was about as disgusting as you possibly could have imagined. Patriots running back pass routes. Ty Montgomery, 12. Ty Montgomery in the year 2022. What are we doing here? Damian Harris, 10. Ramondre Stevenson, 3. He was also behind both in snaps played with just 14. The Patriots might have the worst fantasy offense in football. If, if they can't get a running back, if Harris or Stevenson can't separate from the other guy, there's nothing here. And the yeah. schedule is awful. They get yeah. they go to Pittsburgh next week, which just made Joe Burrow's life a mess for three hours, and then they get the Ravens, and then they get the Packers, and you know, don't be fooled by today. The Packers still have a t- plus five top five defense. That's a horrible schedule. The Dolphins. <laughs> I don't think the Dolphins are. This is not the nineteen seventy three Dolphins or the nineteen eighty four Dolphins or anything. They made the Patriots look really bad. You know, on the the NFL Sunday ticket feed where they have the the box of eight games, there yeah. were nine early games today, so they have to decide which game to keep off the feed. They kept New England, Miami off the feed. Honestly, good call. Yeah, usually I'm, I, they always put a game off the feed that I want to see. It seems like most weeks, but this week they had that game off the feed. You know what? Good. I didn't need to see it. I'll catch up to Tyreek Hill later. I'll catch up to Jalen Waddle later. I'll, I'll break down the Tua stuff. I'm not sure I have the stomach or the strength in my eyes to watch the New England offense. I, I think I might just have to burn that. They have too many people involved in their play calling. They have a bunch of receivers who all kind of bastardize each other and all kind of cannibalize each other. Yeah. They have a very ordinary quarterback. I've said way too many words right now. This is the worst offense in fantasy football. Do not start any Patriots period. Full stop. Yep. Couldn't have said it any better myself and definitely shout out to Mike McDaniel. Good debut from him. Good debut for Tua. So we'll continue to monitor their progress. Um, all right, let's move on to this next game here. I, this is kind of sneaky, exciting for fantasy. The commanders, 
still feels weird to say 28 and uh, the Jaguars 22. Let's start off with the winning team here. Oh, God, Scott, I it's like I, I like this receiver core. Okay, I'm I really really like this trio of receivers. I, Terry McLaurin finishes with the lowest target share here, 9.8. He does catch a long touchdown, so his fantasy day looks good. He still ran a team high 42 routes, but like Jahan Dotson makes a couple of big plays to catch touchdowns. Curtis Samuel was involved from the jump, which, you know, makes my heart flutter. He had five catches on five targets and two rushes on Washington's first two drives. I mean, this was this this receiver core is really good. It does make me like if you if Terry McLaurin's your wide receiver too, I guess you kind of have to ask questions like we don't I mean Carson Wentz still had his like meltdown moments, but you know, you kind of have to ask questions like this receiver core, how good can it be with Carson Wentz and their number one guy if he's not going to be like a, you know, 26-27% target share in Terry McLaurin? How how good is he going to be for fantasy or how good how predictable is he going to be for fantasy? Although I will say I, I don't see many games where, you know, Antonio Gibson is going to have eight targets. I think that's a little more fluky than um, than uh, Terry McLaurin's four targets. Yeah, I was surprised by that Gibson performance too. Although Antonio Gibson's not a bad football player. And I, yeah. I guess it was kind of nice to see him have, what was 130 total yards. To me, the signal here is Curtis Samuel. And I, you know, I fell in love with him at Ohio State. I remember him making one of the best traverse the field runs I've ever seen to beat Michigan one year. I know you've been a Samuel guy from way back. He's changed teams. He's had injuries. He's played with bad quarterbacks. And maybe once, you know, isn't going to be all that great anyway. But because there's a lot screening here, Dotson had a couple of nice touchdown catches. And you know, he yeah, looks like a guy who can be a factor good. right away. McLaurin had the one splash play. It's pretty much all he did. But we don't worry about Terry McLaurin. Gibson was more involved than we thought. I think the fact that Samuel had eight catches, he had proactive running. They used him all over the formation. They got him the ball creatively and proactively. This means I, I wish I had a bunch of Samuel right now. I think he's a perfect like guy for your bench who you play in a pinch if you lose somebody to injury. He could be a wide receiver, like a top 40, 45, 50 receiver. You might think, so what? Those guys play for you because somebody gets hurt. Th those guys play for you because bye weeks come about. Those guys play for you because you wind up making a trade because you have more depth than you thought. This could be the Curtis Samuel year we've been waiting for for three seasons. And Carson once continued his streak of, I've never seen a player who more consistently puts up playable fantasy stats and looks terrible doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I never felt confident anytime he dropped back. I never felt confident with any decision he made, with any throw he made, and yet the points were there. So I, I guess why hassle it? He did it all last year with Indianapolis. I always felt like he was their problem when the season ended. The Colts felt that way too. They couldn't yeah. wait to get Carson Wentz out the door. Well, guess what? Matt Ryan, congratulations on your tie against the Houston Texans. But uh, yeah, the Washington, even though I like their skill room, it's like Wentz makes them a, a monitor team. You can't really live with them and die with them. Every snap will drive you crazy. But I think we might finally be on the, the timing might be right for Curtis Samuel to take a step forward. Ah, I love it. Like I said, this receiver core is just really good. And, and it's a huge upgrade over. Yeah, I love Michael Pittman, um, but it's still a huge upgrade given like the two, three here in Washington than it was uh, what he was dealing with with Indianapolis last year. So we're um, we're remains to be seen like kind of how that target distribution goes. But I definitely think Dotson and Samuel are guys you should pick up. And Antonio Gibson, like you should start him as long as Brian Robinson is not playing. You should you should just keep on playing him on the Jacksonville side. Christian Kirk. I don't care what he's getting paid. He needs to be starting for your fantasy team. 31.6% target share, 12 targets overall. Um, he catches six of them for 117 yards. Uh, and he runs a team high 41 routes. I don't really care about Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, any of that. The other big storyline here, Travis Etienne, man. I mean, if you drafted him with like a third, fourth round pick, you're in the tilt zone right now because James Robinson played 
He had 14 touches for 69 yards and a, a, a touchdown, a couple of touchdowns, right? Uh, so, and, and ETN just six touches. You know, he, he dropped a, a pass he could have probably walked into the end zone with inside the 10-yard line. And, I mean, it's, it's just not a good start for, for Travis ETN there. Yeah, I've always liked James Robinson because his injury happened so late last year, and it's an injury we always worry about with the Achilles. I, I just thought it's unrealistic to expect him to get off to a strong push. I was encouraged by the fact that he was even going to play in this game. I know, yeah. And he looked a lot better. than. Look, I, I'm just happy for the guy. I mean, he had a really good rookie year last year. He got buried by a, a coaching staff that had no idea what it was doing. So it, it was just from a human standpoint, it was, it was cool to see James Robinson play well, but... I'm glad I don't have a lot of ETN shares. It wasn't by choice. I felt like I liked ETN. He just didn't fall my way a lot of times. I could have easily drafted him more than I did, but the other people in your room get to make picks too because I'd be nervous about this. One, the offense I don't think played particularly well. They didn't matriculate the ball down the field with any consistency. I was a little disappointed in Lawrence. I thought this was Washington banged up on defense. I thought Lawrence could get off to a better start than this. And the game was there to be won. He had a chance to lead the team down the field at the end of the game. And he looked much like a rookie, even though it's his second season. So, look, we got to take time with this. I still think Doug Peterson was a good hire. But mostly I was disappointed by the Jaguars' return, other than Kirk did about what we expected. You know, he goes over 100. He was the target leader. We'll take that. And now we get a problem. I mean, do we have to rank Robinson over ETN next week? I think we have to. Yeah, you you at least got to think about it. I mean, they play the same amount of snaps, 31. Um, you know, ETN runs slightly more routes, 22 to 15. But, you know, it wasn't from, from a target perspective. James Robinson was still involved in the receiving game. And Robinson was the clear guy that they wanted to they wanted to have on the ground game. So I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'd be pretty – I'd be a little concerned. I'd be a little concerned if you got Travis ETN. I'd be – because, I mean, part of his boosted up draft you know adp was the assumption that james robinson wasn't going to play at all and clearly like that's not happening and not only is he going to play he's going to play a big role so um i'd be pretty worried although you know this might just i I don't know that i'm super gassed up to have james robinson on my team i'm just definitely more worried if i have travis Etienne on my team all right a couple more games left here browns 26 panthers 24 Scott's already Scott's already shaking his head. Um, the Panthers let this one slip away at the end, although the Browns did let the, the the Panthers back into this one. Strange game. I mean, Nick Chubb, 22 touches, 143 yards. Kareem Hunt uh, actually vultures two touchdowns, one of which he was lined up at fullback and then leaked out of the backfield on a play action and scores the receiving touchdown. I, I've never been like a guy that loves to draft Kareem Hunt because there's just, you know, there's no real it's just tough to predict his big weeks, but he is gonna have some big weeks, especially in this offense. And um I will say this, like I don't really care about Amari Cooper at this point. I mean, six targets, he he turns in seventeen yards. The Browns are just about their running backs and you know, David and Joke is gonna have bigger weeks, but I I'm not I'm not loving what I'm seeing out of Cleveland's passing game, that's for sure. Yeah, somehow they get a win when Jacoby Brissett has 4.3 yards per attempt, which is just a puny number in today's game. Cooper that's the was Joby, Jacoby Brissett show, by the way. That's, that's There you <laughs> go. That's what he does. That's who he is. I mean, look, Chubb's, Chubb's fabulous. Yeah. Chubb might be the, the player with the biggest gap for our purposes, and he's better in real life than he is in fantasy. Yeah. Because he has to share with Hunt, and, and Hunt's going to always have a receiving role, and you don't know where the touchdowns are going to come, and this team is going to be playing with a lesser quarterback for the majority of the season. I'm so glad I don't have Cooper. I wouldn't start him on a bet. I think I have to scale back. And Joker will have bigger games. I'm not going to drop him, but I think I at least have to scale back my expectations. On the flip side, the reason why I was shaking my head is I I wanted to believe, and this could still pass to be true, 
that Baker Mayfield was an improvement over, to use your term, the goofballs the Carolina Panthers have been using at quarterback <laughs> the last few years. And I wanted to say, okay, wheels up for DJ Moore. I want to say, okay, you know, Christian McCaffrey's back. Let, let's smash in, you know, in week one. Now, the Browns have a very good defense, and you know, Garrett was, was terrific all day, and they sacked Mayfield a few times. They, they got him off the spot. Mayfield threw one horrible pick. Fine. That's fine. But I did not see the Carolina offense I thought I was going to see. Uh, yeah, Robbie Anderson made a couple of plays. Disappointing game for Moore. Disappointing game for McCaffrey. And disappointing game, I thought, for Mayfield. I don't know how he gets 8.7 yards per attempt in this game. I know he had a couple of long completions. Ian, Ian Thomas, 50-yard catch. I don't know who saw that coming. Big, but. big bomb to Robbie Anderson, too, who that was like – he he's an interesting player, right, Robbie Anderson, because he's always something weird going on with him. But when you just looked at the depth chart all summer, it's like they're rotating that wide receiver three position between like – Friggin' Shy Smith, and they trade for LaVisca Chenault, and Terrace Marshall's not doing anything. Like Rashard Higgins is playing, you know, was playing a role in training camp. But Robbie Anderson's just like right out there running the same amount of routes as DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson's the big, the big winner here. Okay. Target leader and a team very narrow, right? They only threw the ball to six guys. You know, Tommy Tremble and and Shy Smith don't matter. They, They hardly saw targets at all. This team, you know, Thomas had three targets, whatever. Every week, it's going to be the DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and Robbie Anderson show. And if Robbie Anderson, man, man, it's frustrating to me because I drafted him so proactively last year. I talked myself into, well, he's already got a rapport with Darnold. Maybe Darnold can be better outside of the Jets. No more Adam Gase. And then, of course, Darnold fell all over himself. And and Anderson, you know, takes blame, too. He had a horrible season, of course. So this year, I have a little bit of Anderson. I didn't play him anywhere. You know, if even if you drafted Anderson with the rosiest of expectations, you should have had good enough depth that you didn't use him this week, unless you played him maybe in a DFS contest or something like that. But he's the big winner here. Let me ask you this. I, I don't know how actionable this is, but it's kind of a, a water cooler conversation, okay? Jonathan Taylor was the number one overall consensus pick for most of the summer. And then in the end, of maybe the second half of August, when most people draft, there was a groundswell of, you know, Jonathan Taylor's great and everything, but isn't Christian McCaffrey's upside in a full schedule? Isn't he just the best player? He's going to blow everybody away. It's only one game. But if you walked into your draft and took Christian McCaffrey at 101 and saw what he did today and saw Jonathan Taylor did today, one game, fine. Would you think, geez, I might have got this wrong. I, I Maybe I should have gone with Taylor. Just, again, I, I know there's no actionability to this. It's not like you're going to trade the guys one for one. It's not like you're going to bench them or anything like that. But what's your level of... Oh, I took McCaffrey over Taylor. I screwed up. One to ten. Uh, what's your level of concern on that? Probably, I mean, like a, a five. I don't know. I mean, okay. I, it, it would at least, like, I'd think about it a little bit, and then I'd probably just be like, whatever. Like, McCaffrey, we – I just – I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to put myself in that position because I'm, a, like, a, a coward or whatever we want to call it. I would have just taken Jonathan Taylor, you know, despite the – despite me knowing, like – Knowing the argument that McCaffrey's role is truly unique and rare and unicornish in fantasy football, I still would have just taken Jonathan Taylor. So I want to make myself- this clear. I, I saw the McCaffrey angle, and a lot of a lot of people, some of the smartest people and the yes. people I respect most in the fantasy industry, were banging the McCaffrey drum. And it's not like I was like saying that was wrong or anything. I mean, I, I just thought that I thought Taylor's floor was a little bit safer. And I thought McCaffrey's upside was a little bit higher. And I, I think I'm just going to go the floor route because I mean, Taylor was running back one last year. It's not like he right. doesn't have an upside. And I also, may, maybe I'm clinging to this stat a little bit more than I should, but Jonathan Taylor's never missed a practice or a game since he put on shoulder pads. That goes back to like youth football, high school football, college football at Wisconsin, and his time with Indianapolis. And 
And look, every running back needs to run lucky and pure to stay healthy. It's such a dangerous position. The game is so physical and violent and everything. But there's just something about Jonathan Taylor's makeup that, and not that McCaffrey doesn't do all the right things or he isn't somebody you can't get behind too, but there's just something about drafting Jonathan Taylor that feels safe to me. And who knows? Maybe I'm just playing the game too conservatively here, but, and in one game does not reveal anything. There's nothing definitive to be drawn from this. I just thought it was interesting that McCaffrey kind of got that groundswell late in the year. And I, and I wonder if maybe that wasn't the right play. It is, it's definitely worth asking. Uh, and I will say one last thing on the Panthers offense, like their offensive line, they made a lot of improvements to it. Like they made some moves there, but like there's still some young dudes, you know, like uh, Iki Aquanu, who they took at the top of the draft, like, his debut at left tackle involves, you know, dealing with Miles Garrett. Like this was a tough matchup for them, at least on that, on that standpoint. So there, there might be some better days ahead for Baker Mayfield and the guys on the Panthers offense. But we uh, always say with running backs, what's, what's the word we always say with running backs we, uh, with our offensive lines. We talk about them gelling, right? Cincinnati yeah. improved their offensive line on paper. Maybe it hasn't gelled yet. Maybe some of these offensive lines, we're going to look back. Maybe we'll look back in middle October and say, Hey, that offensive line we thought the Bengals have, it's arrived. These guys yep. know each other now. They, they the have Chiefs, a sense of what the they're Chiefs, doing. The Chiefs are the best example that they went out and they threw all those resources at the offensive line, and you didn't really know it until, like, November and December. And then it's like, oh, shit, the Chiefs have a top-five offensive line, and now they, ha- they have definitely one of the best and most secure offensive lines now. It's a great point. you got to put that offensive line in the refrigerator and, and let it, you know, let it gel. Let, let it sit and settle, and then it will be ready to serve, you know, come the middle of the season. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Let it, let it rest. Let it come to room temperature, baby. All right. Last game here. And honestly, you could argue that the biggest fantasy headline of the day is the return of Saquon Barkley. And it's, it's in our last game here. Oh my God. I mean, Saquon Barkley looks incredible. Uh, His receiving usage first and foremost runs 23 routes, which led the team 33.3% target share that led the team. He was, uh, there were awesome highlight moments from Saquon Barkley. He looked like the engine of the team's offense. He looked like their best player. The most impressive play, which, by the way, the onions on Brian Dayball in his first game to go for two, go for the win. And it was a great little designed pass to Saquon Barkley where he just leveled some dude to get in there. 164 total yards. He gets a touchdown. 24 touches overall for Saquon Barkley. Like, if he's going to get that usage, Scott, he he's going to be like a top five player in fantasy football, period. He looks fantastic. And I, I had like a soft fade on Barkley. It wasn't that I was like dead set against him. I just felt like a lot of people were drafting him proactively and that wasn't going to be me. And I'm petrified that I could be monstrously wrong on that. Barkley looked fantastic. He looked like rookie year Barkley in this game. And he needed to be because... I know Jones got 9.0 yards per attempt, but I mean, I look at who they're throwing to. It's just great that Sterling Shepard's on a football field. He made one long oh. play uh, for a touchdown. That's great to see. Yes. But I mean, you can't trust Kenny Galladay right now. W- Wondell Robinson's a rookie who who hardly played in this game. They needed Barkley basically needed to win this game. They, they won this game on his shoulders. They won this game on the defense making a few plays. They won this game on on Dable having the cojones to do what he did. And I love it. Right. And also you have a backboard. Even if you don't make that two pointer, you could always kick the onside. I know the chances are very slim that you'd get it, but at least you have a little bit of a backboard there. And then the defense came through with enough of a a pseudo stop. I mean, Tennessee did move the ball. They missed the kick at the end, but, um, and this knocked me out. I was feeling really good about survivor, man. All those losses at one o'clock. I had the Titans, the giants had no points at halftime. I think I might've even tweeted something about you meet the new Giants, same as the old Giants, (laughs) And then Barkley and Daniel Jones and Brian Dable stuffed it. You know, down my 
down my shirt in the second half. <laughs> Hats off to the Giants. And you know what? I, look, if you drafted Barkley wherever you got him, I, I, I'd be feeling pretty good right now yeah. because this team, the offensive line looked better. Barkley looked more explosive. He was active in all parts of the game. He's not going to come off the field. There's nobody pushing him, right? I mean, Matt nope. Breida will get a handful of carries, but there aren't many bell cows. This is a bell cow. This is an offensive designer we like. Jones at least has some athleticism. He can do some things. Eventually, the receiver room will get more healthy. I feel pretty good. Even though I'm not going to benefit from this at all, Matt, I feel pretty good that Saquon Barkley may go down as one of the key right answers to this fantasy football season. Oh, 100%. Like, the usage totally dictates that. And, and yeah, I mean, I love Brian Dayball just knowing, hey, look, I'm I'm not expected to do anything this year. I'm not expected to win. This is like a discovery season. So let's just go out and try to put this – because you know the players love it. And there is a 0.0 chance that Jason Garrett and Joe Judge last year are calling for that two-point play there. So it, it excites the fans. It excites the team. So, yeah, the, the new Giants definitely are not the old Giants. You win, the lock, sure. you win the locker room over immediately with a game like this. Immediately. You know, because he goes – after the game, he's Joseph. I knew you guys were going to get that yard. Yeah. You, know, you guys wanted that game more than, than the number one one seed in the AFC last year wanted that game. Great win for the Giants. You know, Giants on three or whatever he said. You know, this is the type of stuff that galvanizes your team. You put you put the game in their hands. Not like a, we're going to play not to lose. We're going to play friendliest loss. We're going to play for overtime. No, we're taking the game right here. I love it. Yeah, you got to love it. And, and just last night on the passing game, I mean, Daniel Jones definitely, I mean, oh my God, 28. He ranked 28 out of 28 quarterbacks so far in week one uh, before the Sunday night game in EPA per dropback. There's definitely some some questionable moments there. Brian Dayball was really letting him have it on the sideline at one point after an interception. I mean, not letting him have it. He was just holding him accountable, right? You know, I mean, which is good. another thing that, guys are going to like, you know, the rest of the team. Like, Daniel Jones is not their long-term answer. Everybody knows that. So, seeing him get after the quarterback is a good thing. And, by the way, just in the receiver rotation, you mentioned Sterling Shepard. I mean, hell yeah, love to see that. I am I will always keep the candle lit for Sterling Shepard because he's a good football player. Uh, Richie James and Kenny Galladay ranked just ahead of Sterling Shepard in routes run, a 20 apiece for those guys. The guy who really fell down here, even after Wandale Robinson exited the game super early with a knee injury, Kadarius Toney, three routes. He played just seven snaps overall, zero targets. He did have one rush attempt. Now, this one actually got pointed out to me late over the weekend. I think it was Friday. Someone in my Discord sent uh, sent over a note from Evan Silva's matchups column where he had talked to a, a veteran Giants reporter who basically said, like, yeah, Sterling Shepard is going to open the season ahead of Kadarius Tony because the staff is now officially soured on Kadarius Tony. So he's definitely a guy that I'd like to see a couple more weeks before cutting bait, but he's definitely going to get on that radar soon because, I, I mean, I've always had questions about Kadarius Tony as a player, and obviously now the Giants staff does too. I will give him credit for one thing. They called a an option pass to Tony. The pass wasn't there. And Tony had the presence of mind to run with the ball. Usually when you ask a non-quarterback to throw a pass, they're going to throw it no matter what. This is the one that's, chance that to be a nice. hero. Yeah. And it was just nice to see someone like say, oh, you know what? The pass isn't there. I'm tucking it down. And he actually made a positive run on a play that looked like it was just going to be a sack or a fumble or a pick or something. I'll give him credit for that. But, um, you know, shout out to Silva for having that note on Shepard. And it just goes to show you that if you have the right connections with with beat writers like uh, Michael Gelkin, who's a former Yahoo employee, who's been a Cowboys beat writer for a while, just an awesome guy and, and knows the team inside and out. You can pick his brain. You get the best of the Cowboys intel. And, you know, I, I know Silva with that vol voluminous 
matchups column that he writes. A lot of that is intel from, you know, Nick Underhill covering the Saints and he's uh, Gelkin and him are tight. And um, that's that's a great way to get some of this stuff and be a half step ahead of your league is to, to be in the right circle with some of these beat guys. Uh, and on the Titans here, we should talk about them, of course. <laughs> Derrick Henry, you know, 21 touches, 82 yards. You know, he, he gets his way there with a ton of volume. Not not a big game or anything like that. In the passing game, um, Robert Woods runs a team high 26 routes. He draws just two targets. I, I'm not really trying to play Robert Woods with any sort of authority at all. Kyle Phillips, the fifth-round rookie. Look, this was uh, – this was something that we talked about on the show, like that I don't care as much about Traylon Burks' lack of reps, so I care a lot about uh, Kyle Phillips' reps that he continues to get. He was the number three receiver on this team, 21 routes, and he drew a 29% target share, nine targets, six hitches, 66 yards. He's definitely somebody that's going to have to be um, on the waiver wire radar, and yeah, Traylon Burks is going to take some time, 13 routes, five targets, uh, w- we'll see. So, I mean, I'm not gassed up about anybody in the Titans' uh, passing game, but I'm, I'm certainly... Um, a little interested in Kyle Phillips. It's going to be a losing team. And this is one of the three or four. If they were to lose Henry for some reason, this would be, I think, almost as bad as the Patriots. I mean, this is not, there's nothing here for fantasy. No. Yeah. Nothing to get excited about. Obviously, you're just going to start Derrick Henry, although Dontrell Hilliard popped in a couple of touchdowns. There. I'm just hoping Burks, I'm hoping that, I'm, I was actually encouraged that at least Burks dressed and he got five targets. He, he got yeah. three for 55. I just want to see part of this season, part of their job this year, because they they have to know internally they're not winning the AFC. They're in a transition. They have to feel the end of the year that, okay, we onboarded Traylon Burks and we can get him to where we can think he can be an alpha next year or the year after. That's their big thing this year on offense is get Traylon Burks up to speed. And so I'm just glad it would have been very easy not to dress him or very easy to give him 10 snaps or eight routes or something like that. Say, well, he's just a rookie, you know, and he's behind Nick Westbrook-Akine or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. at least they let him go out there and do some things and make some mistakes and and learn. Because that's the only way he's going to get better is to get opportunities. So I was actually encouraged by that. I still think Traylon Burks in the second half of the year, we talk about the rookies, how once they get some experience, they can be really good when you're opponents in your league drop them they get frustrated by them by weeks kick in be on the lookout when burks gets cut by one of your opponents maybe in a month or so i still think he might be an impact player in the second half of the year and i thought this first step for him not explosive by any means it's not going to be written about or talked about much i was actually encouraged by it yeah it's a good sign that like they're trying to get him involved that's for sure but uh i, I doubt we get much out of anybody for this team in fantasy that that is no, for it's, sure. it's a wasteland all right, Scott. Awesome show. That is going to do it for us. I, I love week one. Uh, man, it was so much fun to just see all this stuff that we've been theorizing about for months actually play out. That is going to do it for us this week. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. If you like the show, and my God, we just gave you so much information uh, over the last hour plus. How could you not like the show? Make sure you leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I will be back with Andy Barron tomorrow with the very first waiver wire pickup show of the season. Until then, we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? 
Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.